Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. As we come into God's presence, we call, uh, God calls us to confess our sins. John chapter 3 is our call to confession this morning. Hear God's word. They came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, who was with you, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified? Behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Thus far, the reading of God's word. As people, we tend to judge success by size. And John's disciples were worried that, quote, all are going to him. They were leaving John. But John was happy about that. That was his goal. He wasn't the light of the world. He wasn't the Christ. He pointed to the Lamb of God. And men went where he pointed. That was success. And that's our goal too. As parents, as friends, as co-workers, use anything God has given you to point to Jesus. Jesus is the man of the house. He's the one who has the bride. And we are doorkeepers. We are friends who love him, who talk about him, who announce his arrival. If you think of life as a movie, in the movie of life, we are side actors. We are not starring the main role. Our job is not to draw attention to ourselves, but to make the main character, Jesus, look good. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. And if you have your Bibles, take them out, please, and let's turn to Ephesians 4 this morning. Ephesians 4. I'm going to be walking through Ephesians 4 to 6 the next few weeks, looking at uh, how we're called to live as believers, both individual, in the family, and in the church. Ephesians 4, and as as is my tendency. I've probably bitten off more than I can chew once again. We're going to look at the whole chapter and exposit and apply to our lives. Let's read from Ephesians 4. Let's pray before we read. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you, Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. As the psalmist has said, We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you
The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Years ago, when I first began to be introduced to the CREC, one of the first uh, things I came across was a magazine called Credenda Agenda, which Doug Wilson and Mosco put out. And uh, I found the title rather fascinating. It, it's two Latin words, credenda agenda, things to believe and things to do. Credenda, credo, believe, and agenda, do. What do we need to do? Well, we've just spent seven weeks or so considering things to believe. And so I thought that maybe it would be good if we would take some time to think about things that we are called to do as believers. So that's what we're going to do. I have a close-up on the church here, along with the family, along with individual behavior in Ephesians 4-6. to And I'm going to keep this more expository, less topical, keep it closely tied to the text of Scripture. So that's the plan for this fall, basically, to look at Ephesians 4-6, to and probably then after that, 1 Timothy or Titus, to look more deeply into the things of uh, how the church is, is to operate. So here in Ephesians 4, uh, Paul tells us, and again, in Ephesians, you have the first half of the book, the first three chapters, it lays out the, the basic gospel. And then the last half of the book uh, tells us how we're, we ought to live because of that gospel. That's how several of Paul's letters go. And that's what we have. So uh, I've, I've, do, I've done the, the credenda, the what are we called to believe, what's the gospel, what are the basic things we have to believe. So I thought I'd just skip right to the middle here of Ephesians and start at Ephesians 4. Uh, the theme here is to be the loving, forgiving, unified people of God that Christ called you to be when he saved you. And to do this with the help of his gifts. Uh, that that kind of sums up this chapter. So, uh, a couple of introductory remarks here on therefore and the prisoner in the very first few words of the chapter, and then we'll uh, dive into the main point. Uh, It's interesting, therefore, Paul uses that word a lot. Paul has explained the gospel in the first half of the letter, now he turns to how we should live. Uh, That's the, the whole idea of the therefore. And Paul says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. And I wanted to just pause a minute on prisoner. Uh, It's important to remember that Paul is in prison as he writes this. And that's a a bit of a shocker for us sometimes. We don't think about this as often as we should. The thought of us going to prison for our beliefs is just horrifying to us. That's practically unthinkable to the American Christian. That, that should never happen. And yet Paul, in the New Testament, wrote, uh, I forget the proportion, half of his letters, maybe more, from prison. <laughs> it's astounding. Uh, we'll do pretty much anything to, uh, we can to avoid going to prison. But if you talk to Chinese Christian pastors today, they are going to prison in droves. 
and consider it a natural course of their ministry. Today, this is happening. They've trained themselves to consider going to prison as their last seminary course. As kind of a senior capstone seminar. An internship for ministry in a different place, they say. And that is such a different mindset than we have. And Paul was in the same kind of situation. You can get a lot done for the Lord wherever he takes you. Even if he takes you to prison. Even if it's somewhere you don't want to be. And Paul learned that in jail. And it's something we ought to keep in mind. We, we get very particular ideas in our heads about how exactly our life needs to be for us to serve the Lord best. As if we know better than the Lord. Paul didn't want to be in prison, but he, he writes a quarter, a half of the New Testament from prison. So it's something to keep in mind that I wanted to, to focus on for a moment here before we move into the main thing of the chapter. In our way of thinking, our freedom is primary. Right? And we'll fight and we'll die for it. And I, don't, and I think that's an okay thing, to fight and die for our freedom. I think that's fine. I think that's good. But as Christians, we need to have an even greater urgency to protect the gospel and to live it out in our lives, whatever the cost. And that's something that American Christians, I think, we have a harder time dealing with. We're more willing to die for our political freedom than we are willing to sacrifice things to live out Christianity in all of our lives. It's something to think about at least. Well, let's, let's move into the main uh, point of the, the chapter here in Ephesians 4. Paul's main point, uh, halfway through verse 1, Paul beseeches, he urges us to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul's main point here is that we live in a way that fits with the salvation that we've received. We need to live in a way that fits. God created humanity in the first place to be in relationship, in loving, humble unity as a people. And that's being made in God's image because God himself in Trinity is that same way. So that's Paul's uh, description here, his calling. You, you've been saved from your sinful state to be who you were supposed to be in the first place. And, and that involves uh, loving, humble unity together. That's, that's the call. Uh, it reminds me of uh, Gary DeMar. He's uh, written a classic book that uh, you ought to know about if you don't. It's called God and Government. Uh, three or four volumes, I forget which. And Damar, he, he surveys uh, uh, every area of government in life. And we know about the main three, right? Family, church, and state, right? But Damar does something interesting. He starts with self-government. 
which is really important. Right? Then that's where Paul starts here as well. Self-government. If you can't personally bear with others, be patient, maintain the unity of the Spirit, then there's no point in talking about building a family or a nation or a culture or a church. It's not going to happen. Those things are built on self-government. I mean, you could, you could maybe have an outer shell that could look, even look impressive, but it's all rot within if you don't have self-government. So the number one item on the agenda, what's the first thing Paul calls us to? The first thing for a Christian to do is to learn to govern himself according to Christ's ways. Now, verse 4 to 6, Paul moves quickly to the church. Verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So this is our one unified being in the church. And I just wanted to focus on the one hope aspect there. I think it was verse 5, called in, verse 4, into verse 4. You were called in one hope of your calling. One hope. That's something we ought to think about more. Each of us here in this room, we have different aspirations. We have different specific goals in our lives. But have you stopped to think lately that every one of us in this room has the same major hope? We all have the same hope. We're hoping God will accept us because of Christ's death on the cross for us. We're looking for the return of Christ to bring an end to evil, to take us home with him. Every one of us as believers has that same hope. That binds us together. And that's, uh, that's part of what Van Til called the antithesis, right? As believers, that binds us together. And it's a very different kind of definition than unbelievers have in how they think, see their lives. So we may have different life goals. We may have different theological opinions that, that, that lead us to slightly different goals. But Paul emphasizes here our common hope, our unity. We are all the same in being called out of darkness into Christ's light. That's the very first thing Paul says in Ephesians 4 when he starts talking about how we're to live. Remember, you're, uni you're unified, you're united in this. If we keep our focus, if we keep our weight centered there, we'll do all right. If we shift our weight, if we shift our focus to what separates us, things will start to fall apart. And, and Paul focuses us on the main thing. I've been uh, reading the Into the Word Bible reading challenge uh, that started this past week. It began with Psalm 119. And I came across verse 63, and it applies to this exactly. Verse 63 says this, I am a companion of all who fear you. Speaking of God. That's really helpful to stay focused on. 
Anyone who fears the Lord, the God of the Bible, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I am a companion of that person. That's our unity. That's really important to focus on. So, there you have our unity. Uh, Now, verse 7, you each have gifts that will help the body. Christ gives gifts. Verse 7, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And this is why we read in uh, Romans 12, uh, that same passage, uh, that uh, to each of us different gifts are given, right? Uh, Some are given the gift of exhortation, some of giving, some of leading, various gifts. Um, One thing you ought to know about me as a pastor, as a person, is that I listened uh, to Rush Limbaugh from the time that I was about 16 years old until I was maybe 33. I, somehow I dropped off listening to him around then. But one of Rush's taglines that he liked to just kind of, it was kind of a surface bragging is I think what he did. He would often say, talent on loan from God. I don't know if you remember that. And it, and it comes across as a very, uh, what's the word? E- ego-driven, braggadocio kind of thing. But I always sensed there was more, I, I think there was more to Rush than just braggadocio. And, and this is a real thing. And it's something that I want each of you to consider. Every one of us, everyone, not, not just the big names like Rush or whoever, every one of us has talent on loan from God. We seriously do. It's on loan from Him, it's given from Him. And God gives us gifts to help in the body. That's a real thing. Jesus gives gifts from his throne above. Verse 8, he ascended and he gave gifts to men. And then you have this um, parentheses there in verse 9 and 10, uh, that Jesus went down to earth or to the lower parts of the earth. Uh, That might be a reference to his descent into hell, It could also just mean that he came down to earth. Uh, You know, Jesus being born in a stable, being in a manger as a baby, that would surely count as the lower parts of the earth. (laughs) So you could read it that way as well. I personally still prefer that he sent into hell, but, but the main point is that Jesus has been everywhere in his creation, from top to bottom. And now he's at the top, and he can give us what he needs wherever we are. That's the point. So, you personally, you may be near the top of your profession, or you may be kind of floundering in the middle, or you may just be starting out and wondering how you're ever going to get anywhere. The point is, the gifts of Jesus will help. The gifts of Jesus will help. Verse 11, he gives some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Here you have the the offices and the structure. Uh, These are gifts to the church, right? You have uh, have, uh, pastors, you have apostles. That's part of, the apostles define the church, uh, the makeup of, of the church. Pastors and teachers follow their teaching, and there's certain offices that go with that. Uh, that's important to Ephesians 4. It's important to New Testament 
church thinking. Uh, many people set, the, set up the early church as an egalitarian ideal. You, you, look, you just had a bunch of believers in a room. And 1 Corinthians 14 even says it. One should bring a word, another brings a hymn, another brings an interpretation in an orderly way. Right? Uh, no institution, no levels of authority is what many people often think. But we forget that Paul there in 1 Corinthians 14, he was dealing with a chaotic Corinthian church and trying to bring that into order by baby steps. Okay, the first thing is that you all stop your clamoring for each other's attention with several people all speaking in tongues at the same time. <laughs> stop that. One at a time. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. That's the point. One at a time so people can understand. Uh, so Paul's point isn't that there should be no church leaders up front conducting the service. No, Paul, uh, the rest of the New Testament has the apostles defining the church, uh, new believers devoted to their teaching. So that's part of what Paul's getting at here in Ephesians 4, verse 11 and following. Uh, there were men who had the truth, the, the apostles from Christ, who spoke. And then there were those who needed to hear it. Now, that doesn't mean that the apostles were infallible. Uh, don't, don't misread this. Uh, there were times when the apostles were shown not to be uh, acting properly as well. The, the greatest passage that always brings me up short on this, whenever I kind of get high and mighty in my I'm the pastor kind of thinking, is uh, Galatians chapter 2, uh, where Paul corrects Peter. I don't know if you remember that, but, but Paul corrects Peter in front of everybody at a fellowship meal, which we're going to have later today, so I hope this doesn't happen today, but you, you see the idea. Paul corrects Peter in front of everybody because Peter's behaving improperly. Right? So those in authority also need to be held to account. They aren't the source of truth. They're not the source of authority. But they do have an office of teaching, an office of authority. So that's Paul's point here. And I, I enjoy the... Uh, the grammar of this. Jesus, verse 11 again, Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And he's talking about giving gifts to men, right? So if you put the dots together, connect the dots, what Paul is saying is that the apostles and the pastors and the teachers, those are gifts that Jesus is giving to the church. And it, I know it's probably a really bad joke, but I can't resist making it. I still need to make it. You know, what, what this verse basically says is that I am God's gift to you. <laughs> Again, maybe that's a Rush Limbaugh kind of line. I'm not saying that with any braggadocio. Pastors and teachers and apostles are God's gift to the church because the church needs that. They need that definition, that structure, and leadership, and so on. And it's not just me. Jeff Swanson and Tim and the deacons. I don't know if you're aware how much the deacons in this church are God's gift to you. 
I mean, how much work that they do uh, week by week getting this place ready to have a worship service. Uh, so uh, th- there are gifts that God gives to his church. Uh, verse 12 to 16, I need to move on. Uh, so what is the purpose of these gifts? Uh, verse 12 to 16 is just jam-packed with information on that. It's to equip the saints, verse 12. It's to build up the body, uh, the edifying of the body of Christ. It's maturity, verse 13. It's Christ-likeness in verse 14. It's, it's that we would be stable. Uh, verse uh, 14 is interesting in that regard. We don't want to be children anymore. We don't want to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. By the, we don't want to be easily swayed by fads of thought. That's something that can easily happen to us if we scroll Facebook a little too much and see too many memes. Then all of a sudden we're off on this jag and it's, it's a little uh, iffy if it's biblical. Uh, so we, we want to be uh, stable and rooted and grounded in Christ. Verse 15, we want to be uh, loving, we want to speak loving truth. Verse 15. I was at a conference this past weekend, uh, Kevin DeYoung, and the very last thing he said was so good. He just said, be kind and be clear. That, that really sums it up. Be kind and be clear. Speak the truth in love. And, and we, want to, we want to be a part of the body, and, and you'll grow. Verse 16, I really love. The grammar is very difficult in verse 16, so it, it, it kind of loses its rhetorical punch for us. But, but what verse 16 is saying is that Jesus causes the growth in the body. And if you're connected with the body, then you're going to grow. It's very similar to John 15. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Uh, abide in Christ and you'll bear fruit. It's the same kind of idea. So uh, be in the body and you'll grow from the head, Jesus. So, so this is where the church as a structure fits back into our personal self-government. They go together, see? We need mentors to see where to go. We need to help each other. We benefit from the gifts of others. Like, we really benefit a lot from the one or three of us in this church who can play the piano for us and lead the worship service with the singing. That's a huge gift and help, right? We benefit from the gifts of others, and we help each other as we can, too, in other areas. So that's the idea. Verse 17, now Paul goes back to the old man and the new man. Put off the old man of sin, he says. Verse 19 I found fascinating. Um, In the New King James I have in front of me now, it says, being past feeling. I think the English standard says callous, right? So... The old man is callous. You know, when you have calluses on your hands, for example, you, you can't feel anything. You're past feeling, right? But then the very next phrase, notice what it says. You've given yourselves over to sensuality or lewdness. That's interesting. So you've got calluses on your soul, and yet you're all about feeling things. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That, that describes well 
the old man who's, who's trying to live a life of satisfaction, but he can't because he's calloused all over to the things that matter. And he's just trying to feel things that don't matter. Put off that old man of sin. And verse 23, put on the new self of righteousness. Put on the new self. Being renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man created in true righteousness and holiness. That whole put off, put on dynamic. I don't have time to spend on it right now. But that principle is key to the Christian life. We're doing it throughout our lives. It never stops. Continue to put off the old man, put on the new. And Scripture defines for us what those things are. Verse 25 and following, it gives us more definition. Don't steal. Don't lie. Right? Uh, And again, just to emphasize, I would say 80% of your Christian life, at least, is dealing with the gunk that wells up from inside you when you want to lie to somebody to cover up your mistake, when you want to do what you want to do, even though it's not what God wants. That's the Christian life, and we have to put that off. Verse 26, be angry, do not sin. Yes, you're going to get angry, but deal with it. Don't let the sun go down on that. Deal with it right away. Keep short accounts on those kinds of things. Uh, Verse 29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That one has reminded me uh, just recently again. You know, one of the most obvious signs of a converted Christian is that they stop swearing. That their speech changes. That's a really big deal. And some of us who are, live around, work with unbelievers, you, you notice that. That's a big thing, how you talk. You start talking to help others and not just to promote yourself. The way that you talk is indicative of, of where your heart, where your faith is. Well, need to move to the end here. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Forgiveness also, like speech, is a hallmark of the believer. Uh, I recommend a book by Jay Adams I was recently uh, given. It's called From Forgiven to Forgiving. And the whole thing is about forgiveness. It's very good. Jay Adams. Uh, And he says, uh, well, I'm paraphrasing into my own thoughts here, but he says forgiveness is is, kind of like love. Right? Uh, Forgiveness is like love. It's not just a feeling. It's a choice. It's a promise. It's even a transaction, forgiveness is. You know, when you, when you forgive someone, what you're saying is, okay, you saw your wrong, you confessed it as a sin, you've renounced it, so uh, I promise not to hold it against you, how you wronged me. That's forgiveness. It's a promise to not, to not hold it against you. Forgiveness is like love in that way. It's like love in this way, too. You can say the words, I love you. You can say the words, I forgive you. But you can also still act contrary to that and not really be forgiving at all. 
And still, verse 31 says, have bitterness or wrath or clamor or anger in your heart. This is why we read from Matthew 18 today. We, we forgive others just a little bit when they sin against us. There's a little bit of a debt there. We always tend to magnify it and make it huge. Oh, I can't believe what he did to me. But compared to the debt that Jesus forgives us, it's just a drop in the ocean. And, and that parable is just uh, wonderful in, in how it, it just uses the same words, right? Pay me what you owe is what the guy says. But no, the, the master forgives the man the debt and then the other man goes and asks for the same thing. Have patience with me. And we often don't have patience with each other when God has had such patience with us. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Well, this chapter starts and ends with loving unity, with humble forgiveness. And in the middle of the chapter, we see the church built up with the gifts that Jesus gives to us. Uh, leaders who help us chart the right course, who help us to serve the Lord ourselves. Yeah, that's the point of Ephesians 4. Next week, we're going to turn to consider marriage in, verse five, in chapter 5. So we'll go from more self-government to family government next week. But for this week, just remember that we, God calls us to be the loving, forgiving, unified people that Christ called us to be when he saved us with the help of his gifts. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving to us your word, for reminding us who you've called us to be. You uh, moved Paul to write about our calling uh, over and over at the beginning of this chapter we've considered. And you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. You have called us to live in a specific way. We pray that you would give us more and more uh, the desire to search that way out and the courage to live it. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Jesus, the ever-living word, and we sing as he taught us to pray. Second Samuel chapter 9 for our communion exhortation today. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And so when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, 
Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Then verse 11, As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. And verse 13, Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Thus far the reading of God's word. Mephibosheth is you and me. We're from a line of men that rebelled against the true king. We are spiritually crippled. We cannot bring ourselves to come and bow to the true king. But God brings us to himself when we cannot. Mephibosheth is you and me. David, in this scenario, is God the Father. Note how deliberately David pursues showing Mephibosheth kindness. He says it three times to his court. Is there somebody I can show favor to? Then he says it two more times when they seem to have no interest in doing that. <laughs> but David, God the Father, he makes it happen because that's what he wants to do. Fathers should make kindness happen in their realms. And last, Jonathan. Jonathan, he in this example, is a type of Christ. God shows Mephibosheth kindness for the sake of Jonathan. God shows us kindness for the sake of Jesus. Jonathan's mentioned four times in this short little chapter. Jonathan, Jonathan, for his sake, for his sake we eat at the king's table like one of the king's sons and daughters. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus. These are gifts of God for the people of God. The body of Christ broken for you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.